Will you pull out your Bible? And if you don't have a Bible, ushers are coming right now to get the word of God. We want you to have the, the word of God there in your hand. Pull out your bulletin and a pen or a pencil. I'm gonna be giving you some things to write home today, to write, write down and take home with you. And uh, so look, right out of the gate, I'm gonna tell you that this morning is gonna feel a little bit different than our normal experience. Because today, I'm going to share with you a word that the Lord has been pressing on my heart for our church in the time that we're about to enter into. And so this is going to feel kind of more like a a family meeting. Uh, So if you're a guest or visitor, welcome. We're so glad you're here. You're probably here because God wants you to be a part of our church family. So welcome. But I'm going to share some personal things with you about our church and about where we're headed. Last Sunday, I invited you back and I told you that what I need to do today is I need to tell you not just what we are going to study next as a church, but why. And so here's what you need to know. Three weeks from today, October 14th, we're gonna begin a new series of teachings in our church out of the Gospel of Luke. That's where we're going, the Gospel of Luke. Now, last week, because I kind of previewed this, I had a lot of people emailing saying, I bet I can guess what it is. I think we're going to Ecclesiastes. Somebody said, we're going to Leviticus. No, we're not going to Leviticus. Okay, we're going to the Gospel of Luke, and it's going to be amazing. The Gospel of Luke is beautiful, profound, an amazing book in the New Testament. I'm super excited. And that's going to begin in three weeks. And that means that we have three weeks to get ready as a church for that study. And that is my purpose this morning and for the next two Sundays. So what I need to do this morning is I need to tell you the story of what happened to me one year ago on my spiritual retreat that is the why of the gospel of Luke. I was away like I do. I go away for an annual retreat. I learned to do this from my mentor and friend, who's also our founding pastor, Guy Gray, uh, just encouraged me, you need to go away every year. So I go away every year and I take time. I go off the grid five, six days, totally alone. I turn off my phone. I turn off my computer. I grab my Bible. I pray. I listen to the Lord. And what happened to me is that the Lord gave me a word for our church. It was not audible, It was not a still small voice. I didn't slide into a trance or anything like that. It it was more like an impression to my heart. It was as if God took those paddles, those defibrillator paddles, and he made a direct deposit of electricity into my heart. I had been praying. I had been quiet. I'd been in the word. God had been speaking to me about my identity as a pastor, as a man. And out of that whole time came this word. And it was so intense that when I heard it, I jumped up, I grabbed my notepad and I wrote down what I heard. And I'm gonna share with you right now what the Lord said. He said, get the church ready for a revival. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, that was totally unexpected. I was not expecting that 
at all. But the moment that I wrote it down, I knew beyond a shadow of doubt, this is what God wants to do in our church. He wants to do this. And as I started praying, I wrote, I wrote for hours. I filled up a notepad. There were some things that came to me. He said, I want you to do three things right now. I want you to wait. I want you to pray. And I want you to study. I want you to learn everything you can about revival. Read every book, read everything you can get your hands on. And so I did, I waited, I waited for an entire year to test this. The only person that I shared this with was my wife. I waited, I got on my knees, I prayed, I sought the Lord, I studied, I read everything that I could. I began sharing it with leaders in our church to test it. And now here I am today. And to be quite honest with you, it feels very risky to stand up before you and to share this with you. I hope you know that. But I'm here in obedience to share that word. What is a revival? What is a revival? See, I know from experience that the moment I said that word, that triggered a bunch of different responses in this room. Some of you immediately were like, yes. It was like a jolt of electricity. You were excited. Some of you were like skeptical. It's about to get crazy around here, pastor. <laughs> are you gonna start handling snakes? Like, what are we talking about here? We, when we, sometimes we hear revival, we think big tents and crazy business. And so some of you are skeptical. Some of you have had bad experiences. Some of you were just confused or ambivalent. What is a revival? Well, I studied and here's what I learned. Here's what a revival is. It's very basic actually. At a most basic level, a revival is simply a special and concentrated outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on his people that causes them to come alive with new joy and with a new sense of wonder at the glory of Christ and at the beauty of the gospel. That's what a revival is. Sovereign God decides my church is gonna enter into a season where in a new and a concentrated way, I'm gonna pour out my spirit and I'm gonna bring about more joy. Can you imagine more joy here? I can. And God wants to do it. God wants to do it. I believe it with all my heart. Timothy Keller speaks of revival and he uses the word gospel renewal. So if you're uncomfortable with the word revival, just use the word renewal. Jonathan Edwards called it awakening. Timothy Keller says, a revival is just a life-changing encounter, a recovery of the gospel where in a church, the people come back to things that they already maybe know, but perhaps it's become just knowledge in their head, but they begin to experience deeply in their hearts the power, the beauty of the doctrines of grace, the reality of sin, the glory of Christ, his death, his resurrection, and people get revived and joy erupts and it becomes contagious. Amen. I'm gonna tell you something, this understanding of revival directly contradicts two misunderstandings of revival. I'm gonna tell you what they are. When people hear revival and sometimes out there, when people talk about revival, they mistake what God's really doing. The first sort of mis 
understanding or misconception of revival is that revival is primarily about emotionalism. That it's a season where everyone gets stirred up into a frenzy and crazy things start happening and they start pumping gold dust into the AC vents and it gets out of control. And that is not what a revival is. The Holy Spirit is not interested in emotionalism, but he is interested in gospel emotion where I feel in a deeper way God's, the beauty of God's glory in Christ. But also revival is not primarily only about evangelism. If what we mean by that is a season where human beings try to manipulate or force people into a relationship with Christ using tricks or novelties, or setting up big tents. We do that for Connect Sunday, but that's a different thing, okay? <laughs> putting signs out on the front of the church, revival next Sunday, as if it's something you can put on your calendar. That's not a revival either. A revival is simply a season where God in his mercy pours out his Holy Spirit. And often it happens through some of the things that are already happening in the church, preaching and prayer, God's, people seeking God, going to the Lord's Supper. But something happens where the church is revived. And I want that. In a season of revival, three things happen. You might want to write this down. Three things always happen in a season of revival. Number one, sleepy Christians wake up. Who's a sleepy Christian? I become a sleepy Christian, okay? And so do you. Sleepy Christians wake up. Number two, nominal Christians get saved. Here's what I mean by that. There are people who think they're a Christian because they come to church, but something has not happened in the depths of their heart where they've experience that born again moment where they surrender their life to Jesus and everything changes for them spiritually. But that happens in a revival. Sleepy Christians wake up, nominal Christians get saved. And as a result of that, a third thing happens. Non-Christians are drawn in and they get exposed to the beauty of Jesus and his gospel. It's contagious and it's amazing. It's beautiful. And there are always two critical ingredients that always begin a revival. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the cause, but there seem to be two things that are always happening in a church. And this is where you come in. The first is a concentrated focus on preaching and talking about Jesus, lifting up the truth of the gospel. That's why we're gonna study Luke together as a church. That's the why of Luke. And it's going to take us a year and a half to study Luke. We're going to preach every single chapter. Luke is the longest gospel in the Bible. You're going to be so tired of Luke in a year and a half. You're going to come up and put me in a headlock. No, you won't, because it's going to be amazing. We're going to lift up Christ. That's, that's the first ingredient. Here's the second ingredient. It's what Jonathan Edwards called extraordinary prayer. I'm going to be talking about this more in a moment. But Jonathan Edwards talked about this kind of prayer that's it's, it's unique. It's extraordinary. He, he contrasted it with what he called maintenance prayer. 
which is good. Maintenance prayer is when we pray for one another, we pray for healing, we pray for the ministries of the church, but there's this kind of prayer called extraordinary prayer in which believers, and it doesn't even matter how many, it could be one, two, five, a hundred, four hundred, begin praying in a new way. They begin saying, God, show us more of your glory. We want more. We wanna see Jesus more clearly. We wanna be captivated by Christ. God, would you do something in our church and in our community? Revive us, God. And when Christians start praying like that, often God responds. See, the reason often God sends revival is because his people want it. They want it. Revival, it's not my vision, it's our vision. As I've shared this, I've had so many people say, I have been praying for this for years. Oh my gosh. And do you know what? This is actually, whether you know it or not, this is actually your vision. This, brother and sister, this is the answer to your deepest longings. I guarantee it. And so I'm standing before you this morning, humbly as your pastor, to ask one simple but extremely important question. And the question is this, are you ready? Are you ready for this? Over the last year, I settled in, yes, I I believe, Lord, this is the word. I know we're supposed to preach Luke, but I realized we're not ready to start Luke. I realized there's something that we have to do to get ready to start this series in Luke. And I kept coming back to a verse in the book of First Peter where Peter says to a church, you need to get ready for what God's about to do. Will you turn there with me now? First Peter chapter three in verse 15. I'm gonna focus on verse 15, but I'm gonna read into it starting... In verse 13, here's what Peter said to a church body, a group of believers. He said, now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Pay attention. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Did you see it? Peter said, Always be prepared. He said, You need to be ready. The word that Peter used is a word that describes a person who's ready for action. And the reason that they're ready is that they have already made preparations in anticipation of something that they believe will happen. They are ready because they got prepared. And so they live their life in a a posture of standing at the ready. I imagine a sprinter who's on the blocks with her hands on the ground and she's waiting for the gun to go off and she's totally ready. She's prepared. She's trained for this moment. 
for weeks, months, years. She's suffered. She's disciplined her body. She's disciplined her diet. All for this one moment when the gun goes off and she runs her race. She's ready. I imagine a young man, soon to be father. His wife is nine months pregnant. Nine and a half months pregnant. And he's ready. He's got the bags packed. They're in the trunk of the car. He's got Google Maps up already with a route to the hospital. He's practiced which ways to get there. He's got the snacks ready. I met a guy one time who kept French fries in the console of his car because it was his wife's favorite snack. He was ready for that moment when she would say, it's time, honey, I'm ready. French fries is a little weird, maybe potato chips, but that's okay. He's ready, right? He's ready. When you have your second child, you get a little more casual about this. We did. Kathy's water broke and she didn't know that her water broke because Bridget was was effacing. So her head was blocking the water to come out. So she was like 28 minutes from delivery and we were in my living room. We weren't ready. We were not ready. And then I panicked. And so when I drove to the hospital, I parked four, I parked on the wrong end of the hospital, four blocks away from the delivery room. And so we're walking through the hospital and my wife is like laboring heavily. And we got to a, we got to a, an overpass and she was bending over and she was having contractions. And a nurse came up and said, dear, you are laboring in a heavy way. And then she looked at me with a look <laughs> that said, you are Satan's nephew. Like what, <laughs> what are you doing? I wasn't ready. Can I ask you a question? Are you ready? Are you ready? What does it mean to be ready? Will you look at it with me? Here's what Peter is talking about. What are we supposed to be ready for? Peter says in the end of verse 14, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor the Christ, the Lord is holy. Always being ready to give that reason for the hope that's within you. Peter says, Christian, I'm, I'm asking you to make a fundamental exchange in your life. You need to replace your fear of men with a fear of Jesus Christ as Lord. Someone is on the throne right now of your life and you need to make an exchange. And so Peter says, I want you to be ready. The church was experiencing opposition. This is why Peter said, he said, no one, who, who is there to harm you in verse 13? And if you suffer opposition, the church was experiencing opposition. And Peter believed that in the midst of that opposition, there would be opportunities for Christian believers in a culture that is becoming more and more unchristian. There would be opportunities for believers to share their faith, but you have to be ready. You have to make some preparations. I heard the most powerful testimony this year at our, at our last baptism service. It was a man named Brent. All the, all the testimonies are powerful, but this one just captured my heart. He actually shared it with me and he gave me permission to tell his story. 
Here's what he said. He said, I always felt like I was a good person. I always aspired to be the good guy. I did the right things. I made the right decisions. I couldn't tolerate injustice. I helped people when I could. I always thought that was enough, but I never thought further ahead than what was right in front of me. Sure, it's vitally important to be present in the moment, but it's meaningless if you don't know who you are or where you're going. And he said, for me, I had to be completely lost before I could be found. And then he began to tell the story of how his wife slipped into a depression that became so bad that she got a gun and took her own life on his back patio. And she left him and their three-year-old daughter without a mom. And Brent slipped into a depression himself. He was in a dark place. And then in his story, he said, one day Jesus sent me a messenger. He describes a moment where he was at work and a client who has come in regularly sat in his chair and he writes, this messenger who I had known professionally for a while simply said that he had a relationship with Jesus and that Jesus wanted a relationship with me also. And Brent said something about that moment. I couldn't help myself I, because I respected him and because I could see that there was something different about him. I wanted to learn more and he, he invited me to coffee and we started meeting each week. Brent says he took me through a class called Christianity Explored. I learned about who Jesus is, why he came, what he's done for me. And then Brent said, on a critical moment, January 21st, on a phone call, this messenger from Jesus said, Brent, I got to ask you a question today. Who do you say Jesus is? And Brent said, Jesus is the risen Lord who died for my sins. And this messenger said, what do you think we should do about that? And Brent said, I think it's time for me to pray. And so they prayed. And he came to Christ. And Brent is a member of our church to this day. Hallelujah, he came to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Praise God. Can I tell you the other side of that story? Yeah, okay, go, go ahead. Good. That messenger is a river wester. And now I want to tell you his story. About four months before Brent's wife took her life, this man who goes to our church, his name is David. He's a brother and a friend. He was praying and God led him to the most simple childlike prayer. He realized, God, I've never gotten the chance to lead anyone to Christ. And so he prayed and he said, Lord, I, I will not ask you for anything else for the rest of my life, I promise. You should not say that, but that's what he said. <laughs> He said, would you please, God, would you please just give me an opportunity to share my faith with someone? What a prayer. Can I tell you something? That is a prayer that God loves to answer and he would answer it in your life. And three months later, David went for a routine eye exam and the man who was checking his vision was Brent. And David said, how you doing, man? And Brent said, not that great. I'm trying to figure out how to be a single father. 
Now, David describes this moment. He said, I pictured in this moment that God had given me a mitt that I was wearing and God had just hit an in an infield single. And all I had to do was put the mitt down. But if I didn't, it would just go right by. And I realized, am I ready? God has just pitched me like a curveball. Am I ready for this moment? And he, he, he stopped and he said, what did you just say? Brent said, I'm trying to figure out how to do life as a single father. And David said, I have a relationship with someone who I think can help you. Would you be okay if I told you about him? And Brent said, absolutely. So David stayed. He, he, he did not go back to work. I'm not recommending that, but he did not go back to work. He stayed. He waited till Brent was off shift. He took him out, bought him a cup of coffee. They started praying and Brent came to Christ, and the two of them were sitting together this morning at the 9 a.m. service. And you want to know why? Because David asked, God, help me get ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? There are three things that you can do today to get ready. I want you to write these down. In fact, I'm asking you, River West Church, to do these three things today with most sincerity. Here's number one. Please do not leave this room today if Jesus is not seated squarely on the throne of your heart and your life. Please do not leave. There are people here today who have unfinished business with Jesus. And you know it. And the most catastrophic thing that you could do is knowing that leave without dealing with that. Please do not leave. Peter said, make that exchange. Who's on the throne? Is Jesus on the throne of your heart and your life right now? Or has someone else crowded their way up there or something else? Peter was onto something here. He, he was onto something about revival. He knew revival always begins in the same place. It always begins in individual human hearts. It is in your heart, Peter says, that you honor Christ the Lord as holy. That word honor means to reverence Christ to recognize who he is and to say, I refuse to let anyone else sit on the throne. No human being can control the outcome of human history. There's only one person who has control of human history. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the risen Lord. And he's asking you today, am I on the throne of your heart and your life? You may need to make an exchange today. Peter knows our human hearts, they tend to drift. We tend to wander, right? Right? That's why we love that song, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Every time I sing that, I'm like, that's me. Someone's holding a mirror up in my face, right? And so Peter would say, make sure, do you have unfinished business with Jesus? Today is your day. Two months ago, I got an email from a man in our church. His name was Larry. 
and Larry is losing a fight to cancer. And I asked for his permission to tell this story. And I didn't know why he wanted to meet with me, but I was late coming back to the office. He was already here. And as I walked up the back steps, I really felt the Lord say, Adam, you need to be ready to lead Larry to Christ. I was like, what? I'd seen Larry around our church for 10 years or something. So as I walked up, I sat down in my office. He started to share his story. He's cancer's killing his body, but he really wanted to talk about faith. He was struggling. He was wrestling. And I kept hearing this word that I felt like I was supposed to say to him. And I didn't want to say it, but the Lord kept saying, say this word, say this word. And so finally I said, Larry, I have to say a word to you. And the word is this, surrender. I don't know that you have surrendered your life to Jesus. And when I said that, his, he just started weeping and he sat back in my chair and he went, oh. And then I said, Larry, I don't think you're supposed to leave my office until you do this. And he was like, oh, it was very dramatic. Oh, and so we prayed and Larry prayed to receive Christ for the very first time. And when we said amen, there was a glass of water on the table in between us and he slid the water towards me and he was like, will you baptize me right now? I thought he was kidding. He was like, just sprinkle me right now. I was like, Larry, we don't do that here. This is a full immersion church, all right? We don't sprinkle. You're gonna have to come to a baptism service, right? Some of you have unfinished business with Jesus. Please do not walk out the door until Jesus is on the throne of your heart. Don't leave. There will be people here to pray with you. I will be here to pray with you. Someone next to you will pray with you. Say a prayer with someone. That's number one. Here's the second thing that I want you to do. I want you to lean in to some of this extraordinary prayer with me, with our leadership team, with people that have been praying. Lean in. Join a community group where praying is happening. Come for prayer after service. We're we're creating ways for you to go and pray with someone on our prayer team. Sometimes we think, I should only go over there if I've got something really horrible happening. No, no, no. Sometimes you just sense, I need to pray with someone. I don't even know what it is. Maybe the spirit is just touching your heart. I've got to go pray with someone. Just come over. There will be someone over there who loves you, who loves Jesus. And they'll simply say, how can I pray for you? And you can just say whatever comes to your heart and they'll pray with you. Lean into that. Begin to pray in a new way. There's a, there's a group of people who pray in our church on Wednesdays at noon. They call it the Wednesday noon prayer. I have no idea why they call it that, but that's what they call it. And it's open to anyone. And this, what I love, I pray with them whenever I can. I wish I could be there more. They pray that extraordinary way with expectancy. God, we believe you want to do something new, something fresh, pour out your spirit. God, show us more of your glory. Come on Wednesday at noon and pray with them. Lean in. We just finished a series in the Psalms teaching us how to pray. Do you know how to talk to God about your sin? Do you know how to talk to God about his glory? Go back, listen to some of those and begin praying that extraordinary prayer. Do it with other brothers and sisters, okay? That's number two. And here's number three. It's so simple. It's so concrete. I'm asking you to do this before you leave. It's this. Make a list of names 
of people that you encounter on a regular basis and begin praying for them and begin asking, pray the prayer that David, our brother David prayed, God, I pray that you would just allow me to lead someone to Christ this year. That's a prayer God wants to answer. Amen? That's a prayer God wants to answer in your life. Why are we preaching, why are we preaching Luke for a year and a half? Here's why. I want you to know that for a year and a half, on any given Sunday, you could invite a friend or a neighbor or a coworker or a sibling to come to our church and you could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the entire service, including the sermon, would be devoted to lifting up Jesus Christ, how compelling he is, how beautiful he is, how convincing he is from the gospel of Luke. You could know that and invite people with confidence. Amen. I'm asking you, make a list and begin praying and seek first the kingdom of God and his purposes and his will. And he'll take care of the rest. Amen. I'm gonna pray about that right now. And the worship team is gonna come. Will you bow your heads with me and join me? Lord, it is with an overwhelming sense of joy and with an overwhelming sense of humility and an overwhelming sense of awe that we seek you now and we pray with sincere hearts that you would show us more of who you are. Heavenly Father, in your sovereign mercy, would you pour out your spirit anew on our church that we might experience even more joy, that it would become contagious, that you would do a mighty work in our church and in this community at a time in human history that seems so dark. Could it be that that's precisely the time when you want to do a new thing, a revival? We ask for it, God, with humility. Thank you, Father. And we pray that you'd help us to get ready. Many of us don't feel ready. Help us, God, we pray. As we study your word, as we gather together, as we pray, would you make us ready for what you want to do? Thank you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen.